writer, director, and nose job recipient. Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink, uh, and my iPhone is on night mode. What does that mean? It's like the darker background. Oh, are you digging that? I am digging it. I think it's better for my eyes. Remember when I had an Android? Yeah. Those were dark days. That was weird. Was it hard to use? Um, yeah. People made fun of me. I felt ostracized. Mm. Everyone hated that I had green texts. I was in an acting class at the time, and there was a group chat for the acting class, and I wanted to join it, and they wouldn't let me join it because they said they didn't want green texts in their group chat. Are you serious? I'm not joking. People were real exclusionary about it. That's horrifying. People would, if I would text someone back and it had green text, they would first thing be like, ugh, green text. Honestly, Android users should be a protected, marginalized group of people. <laughs> we deserve rights. What do you we mean, deserve- we? You abandoned them. I know. I, I uh, yeah, I went back in the closet. <laughs> this is Just Between Us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice. Ridiculous games. And brutal honesty. And the brutal honesty is people will make fun of you for having an Android. I just think it's a bummer you can't FaceTime. That was a big part of it. Yeah, people were mad about FaceTime. Uh, I mean, the the camera, I had a Google Pixel. The camera, spectacular. Really? Gorgeous photos. Wow. Incredible. Uh, but they were all of you alone because no one would <laughs> hang out with you. <laughs> I, had a, I had a girlfriend at the time, and we would take a picture on her phone, and I would look at it and be like, "That's yeah, it's a good picture. And then we would take it on my phone, and she'd be like, this is gorgeous. Wow. So, like, I mean, that was a bummer to lose out on. On your relationship? Wow. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Rough. I'm fine. Am I? Uh, But then the people that have Androids are very smug about having Androids. Have you ever noticed that? I don't speak to anyone who has an Android. (laughs) We've got a great episode for you guys this week. Oh, yeah. We're going to be talking to Associate Professor Kathy Campbell, uh, who is also a, a nurse at UVA, about her research on transgendered seniors and why they're called Generation Silent. I am obsessed with this. I read an article about Kathy and, um, and her cohorts, and I am so excited to talk to her. And later, we'll be talking all about work-life balance. But Everyone's first... Fi- Don't you dare <laughs> say my line! <laughs> Don't you dare! But first... Canada. Oh, Canada. You know, I I fucked up my intro to the song because you threw me so much. I'm supposed to say hit it. And Brandon's looking at me like I'm a fucking failure. Brandon. Brandon. (laughs) Allison, you want to know what happened? You have so much trouble with names. It is crazy how, like, you just, like, kind of have name dyslexia. Is that a thing? And I feel like people... I don't know. I'm making assumptions that people like think when I then go, oh, I'm just bad at names that I'm lying. But it's I wish I had like footage where I could be like, it's not you. It's literally everyone I've ever met. And it's not that you don't know the person's name. It could literally be someone that you've known yeah, for like. Absolutely. I could know everything about your 12 family. years. I can know your deepest secrets. I don't know how to say your name. (laughs) Yeah, it would be someone that you've like literally known for. It's not like, oh, you just don't know the person. Or like, I don't care. It's like a a mind issue. Your brain gets transposed. Yeah. It's super weird. It's really bad. I mean, we could. I'm really sorry. We could literally just be describing dyslexia. (laughs) Like, we're like, what is this very specific thing? But it's oral. oral. We'll never know. It's oral. Probably there's oral dyslexia. If that's a thing, I've got it. Yeah. Anyway, Emily again says, (laughs) Oh my God. Am I crazy? Should I even care? Emily is 22 years old and lives in Canada. She says, Recently a situation happened at my house and with my boyfriend's friends, and I would like some advice. My boyfriend and I have been living together for about a year and a half, and we also have a roommate. For the Super Bowl, yuck, the boys organized a party and have had about five people over. 
These five people were so loud. I could barely sleep, and I woke up at 6 a.m. the next morning. I was tolerant but annoyed until a girl we all just met showed up and decided it would be fine to take a shower without asking and used my towel. What the fuck? This is the straw that broke the camel's back because now that Tamil is contaminated and I need to get rid of it. Oh, my God. She's my soulmate. Despite my boyfriend's efforts to get her to stop, she wouldn't listen. Then she proceeded to have sex in my spare room. With who? Who knows? The towel? I was I was angry, so I came downstairs yelling profanities and threw a bag of chips at a wall that exploded. You are a legend. Anyway. You are truly an icon and a legend and a role model. Anyways, all that to say, my boyfriend is worried because his friends think I'm psychotic now and says things will never be the same. I don't give one single fuck if things are the same. These people lost my respect. How should I resolve things in a way where my boyfriend doesn't feel like he has to choose? Is it fair to demand not to have those people over anymore? First of all, did Cheyenne write this? Like, this is like throwing a bag of chips at the wall is fully what my younger sister would do. I love also, that it exploded. I am obsessed with this girl. <laughs> I love you so much, Emily. I love that she knows how she deserves to be treated, that she knows what's acceptable, that she's not pretending to be cool, that she's she's putting up boundaries. I don't give one single fuck if things are the same. I can't believe that her boyfriend doesn't get why she did what she did. So this is the problem. He's right? the problem. Yeah. Because you're a queen. You're Emily. You are a queen. Shout Someone out. just took a shower in your bathroom <laughs> and didn't ask for a new towel. They just used your towel. We stand a queen. Okay. So here's the thing, Emily. Okay. You're 22. You are, and I'm sorry to say this, more mature than other people your age. <laughs> That's going to be a real bummer for you moving forward. People at 22 act like this. Some people at 22. Um, you're an adult. You want to go to sleep. You work at 6 a.m. Uh, you know not to use people's towels. You know not to have sex in people's spare rooms. like Without these, permission. Sure. Like These are just things that you know inherently to be bad behavior and um, disruptive and destructive and rude. Because you are a little bit more elevated than your peers. Uh, I mean, she did have a big reaction. I don't know if she would have had that reaction if she was older. I would do that. Now, are you fucking kidding me? In no scenario would I scream and throw a bag of chips. Except what? In, in class last night, I did throw my pen at the teacher. Why? Because we got into this fight about free will. And I said that it existed. And then she was like, do something to show free will existed. And then I threw my pen at her. <laughs> I would have punched her in the face. Oh, my God. Throwing your pen is the least that you could... Whatever. Okay, do something to prove free will exists. I would have fucking socked her. Anyway, look. The point... I'm just saying that these people are below the level of maturity and of, of someone your age. And you are above the level of maturity of someone your age. Also, it's really hard to be 22 and living with your partner. Super hard. It's super hard to be 22 and living with 22-year-olds who are not on your level. Yeah. Also, fuck your boyfriend for inviting people over when you work at 6 a.m. the next morning. Also, I don't think that it's on you to make your boyfriend feel like he has to choose. Like, yeah. I think if your boyfriend should side with you, and if not, then maybe he shouldn't be your boyfriend. Totally. I think I think I understand why it would be that yelling profanities and throwing a bag of chips at the wall that exploded uh, might be a crazy reaction. But honestly, like, if it was just like my boyfriend had friends over and they were being so loud and I, it was hard to sleep, one, that's one thing. If everyone is, like, if, like, they're allowing this girl to, like, be a total disaster in your home, that's a different thing. I think you could say to your boyfriend, look, the way that I handled this, not my best. Right. I obviously was sleep-deprived and really upset, and I felt violated in my own home, and I lashed out, and I will work on that, and I promise not to do that again. However, secretly, me and Allison think that you are a queen. <laughs> And then say, you know, but I, I think that these people do not respect our shared space and I prefer that they don't come over anymore. Yeah. And then it's on him to see his reaction and you'll see sort of what his priorities are, you know? Or are his priorities over, his friends or are they you? They can come over in smaller amounts. Two, yes. two at a time. Or like maybe you could be like, this is strike one. Go, like, to a, go to a sports bar to watch the fucking game. I think you could say like, 
they can come over. But if something like this happens again, then that's it. Or at least ban this girl. Yeah, ban that girl for the sure. Girl is, the girl is maybe the real problem because, like, she has no boundaries. You seem to be a person who's very boundaried, and this person has no boundaries. And also, to be honest, like, the way that you talked about contamination and stuff, it sort of resonates with Allison's OCD. So I wonder if there's also an element of, like, you you being super triggered in a very specific way that like isn't being respected like i can handle things outside of my home that i could not handle inside my own home absolutely and i think that's probably what happened with you so i think you can explain that to your boyfriend and i think a lot of this is honestly on him and how he reacts i think you should take ownership for the fact that you overreacted and that like it's never really good to throw things in general yeah i do think (laughs) like i do think sometimes that can scare people because it seems like a precursor to violence Right. I've dated people who threw things and punched like the wall over my head and stuff. And that this is worlds away from that. But I just mean, you know, I think I think any sort of strong physical reaction can freak people out for sure. So I think it's fair to apologize for that and say you won't do that again. But in terms of what the relationship with these people is going to be like moving forward, that's what I would really pay attention to. And if your boyfriend is like calling you psychotic and like, all, all he cares about is his friend's view of you versus how you feel after this traumatic experience. That's not a great boyfriend. Absolutely. Also, like, it's also weird to be like, all my friends are saying you're psychotic. It's like, fuck you, dude. I don't care what your friends are saying. <laughs> but I also love, because I thought you were going to be like, oh, my God, I'm so embarrassed. Like, I, I can't believe blah, blah, blah. But for you to follow up with, I don't give one single fuck. <laughs> If these and I, these people have lost my respect, like, good for you, bitch. Like, good for fucking you. And that's like right up there with what was it like? That that's is so not, not on the table for me. Staying friends with friends after college, it, that is not, not on, on the, the table, table for, for me, me at, at all. all. <laughs> oh my God. That joins our legacy phrases. Uh, if you think we could be as helpful to you as we were to Emily <laughs> by praising her bad behavior, <laughs> please submit your international questions at justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking to UVA nurse Kathy Campbell. Just between us. Hey! Just between Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, controversial segment known to all of podcasting. Tough questions. Uh, Today we're going to be talking to Kathy Campbell, who I found through this article that uh, was about UVA nurses who are studying the needs of transgender senior citizens. I was riveted by the article. So thank you, uh, Kathy, for being on the show. Well, thank you. We're glad to be able to, you know, talk about the work and... Um, really kind of shed a little bit of light on, to me, my you know, b- beloved population of seniors. So you guys call them Generation Silent. Can you explain who is in Generation Silent and, uh, and what, you know, what they're about? Well, Generation Silent really came from a, a New York Times article that was published in, I think, like 2007 that's really talking about this older generation of LGBTQ elders most of them now are probably in their 70s and 80s. And so they came up in a time where uh, they were living in a, you know, a closeted life. They may have been out to a certain segment of their, their social circle, but they certainly weren't out at work. Um, they weren't out at their other civic um, organizations. And so um, through their you know, committed community, they were able just to attend, kind of take care of their lives, live their lives and get their needs met within their trusted circle. But now that many are, um, are aging, they're older, they have various illnesses, so they have to interact with the healthcare system. And what we're finding is that for many of them, they're just really, they're so afraid to have to come out again to healthcare providers who may not be supportive of their gender, gender, gender identity. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's kind of why it's they, why they have been referred to as Generation Silent. But now, because they are vulnerable, um, they may have a life-limiting illness, um, they have to reach out. And so it's just a, just a different 
a different time for them, and um, so you are vulnerable because you're 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 sick, you're unwell, but also you f- are feeling a little bit unsafe now. Mm-hmm. How many um, uh, people who come out as transgender or identify as transgender are are uh, older, are like you know in a retirement age and above? So it's estimated it's about two hundred thousand are older than sixty five, and we know that number is underestimated because if you are not out, you you're not going to be filling out any forms or anything that might count you. Right. But we know that um, um, it's at least two hundred thousand and probably more. Can you speak to what um, brought you to this specific part of healthcare? Oh goodness. Um. Well, first of all, I grew up in Key West, where my mother was the social worker in Key West oh, wow. for for many many years, and just really saw you know, the work that she was doing um, and helping people connect with resources. And so I've been, um, I've seen the work she's, she's done and also seen um, the power of communities, you know, sort of growing up in Key West and a small community and the importance of being able to sort of bridge different types of people within the community. And so um, I became a nurse. I've been a nurse now for about 35 years. And then I got into end-of-life care because I worked at a large teaching hospital. And although they did the high-tech things very well, but taking care of people um, who were dying and whose needs were really for comfort, symptom management, spiritual support, that wasn't done as well. And I wanted to be able to uh, contribute to those people. So um, I got a job. I started when I was 25, and I know that I know that you're you're young, but at that <laughs> we're not time, that 25. Young. <laughs> yeah, 25. we're we're a little older than that, but yeah. <laughs> but at that time, 25 was young for a for a hospice nurse. Oh, definitely. And I really found that I loved it. I loved. I mean, I could I could do the high tech stuff, but I also found that there was a great satisfaction in the emotional support. Um, uh, being able to connect people, maybe with family members they hadn't seen, um, and certainly because I worked um, in Washington D.C. in the early days of the, of the um, HIV/AIDS epidemic, and at that time, um, people were isolated from their birth families, mm-hmm. and so just really being able to be part of people's chosen family, they sensed that. It was okay, and I and I and they could welcome me into their homes, and I would work with whoever was there. They didn't. I wasn't labeling them or labeling anything. I'm just I'm just here to help you and support you and the f- people you define as family. Because that was a a very intense, uh, obviously, time when the AIDS crisis was at its peak, and um and. I think like there was a lot of distrust of the medical community and then also, you know, these people were dying and they didn't really have any, they didn't, they, were the, they didn't really have any support from anyone other than their, like you said, chosen family, but often the chosen family was left out of their healthcare decisions. Even the fact that you worked in, in healthcare in DC during that time is, is, like really wild. I mean, I'm sure you saw a lot of stuff with regard to the LGBTQ community firsthand, you know? Well, we did see a lot, but it wasn't just me. You know, there was a lot of people committed to, um, you know, taking care of people at home and really providing that respect, that dignity, um, working with some pretty, pretty tough situations. What qualities do you think someone needs to work in hospice versus just regular health care? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I think being able to, to to listen, not only with your hearing, but to really to listen to what is not being said, really being able to be with people just kind of where they are. Because mm-hmm. sometimes we talk about people being, being accepting, but it's a bigger, you just open your arms to people and you take people where they are. Some days, all you need to do is to be silent and be quiet and just hold a space for people. And other days you might need to be a little active, more, more of an advocate. Is it a big mental toll on, on you to work in that space? Um, it just kind of, it kind of depends. There's, you know, there are some days where you really, um, you really are kind of emotionally 
emotionally shaken by some of the things that you've seen, the things that, that you witnessed. And then there's other days where you're just, you're glad to be there. You're glad that you were the one who was present. Like one time I was, um, I was a hospice, hospice volunteer and um, I was getting ready to leave for the day and the, and the phone rang in someone's room. And luckily I had been walking by, I was able to pick up the phone and so that the daughter could talk to her father. And so that's like right. a simple thing. That's no, you know, but just, just, just walking by, walking by the room and answering the phone, I'm able to connect to people. Is there a lot of outreach to, especially with LGBTQ or specifically trans uh, people in hospice, is there a lot of outreach to their birth families or trying to connect or trying to, at end of life, be like, look, can we put our differences aside and not do this? Well, it kind of depends. If that's something that uh, the person that, that we're taking care of, if that's a goal they identify, then of course we would work with them to try to open that door or to bridge that conversation. But sometimes, you know, people are just so, they've been so hurt and they're so tender and they just don't want that. So we don't, we don't force it. But if that's something that they want, then the social worker will work with the family um, to do that. Um, In this um, paper that my student and I worked on, um, that was one of the things that Carmelita did want. And so, um, they were able to, you know, make that um, a reality for her. Carmelita was a, a trans woman elder that you worked with. Yes, yes, that's the um, my student. Um, she's a, my doctoral student here in um, Virginia helped Carmelita write a write a book about her life and helped her to helped her to put together a small book of her poems and writings. I guess I guess now we say, we say that she helped her to curate mm-hmm. some of her things into a small a small book. And that was something that could provide like a small dignity and that could provide like, you know, closure at end of life, sort of leaving your story. Yes. Yeah, so what what was important for Carmelina was to be able to, to have a legacy. So not only is she telling her her story, her family has it, but also the book is available for other people. Mm-hmm. I mean, so you brought up the AIDS crisis like there I think people think that being trans is something for young people and I think transgender senior citizens in particular are sort of an erased group because I don't think they're taken into account or you see them that often what sort of um, gaps in care do you see like is that a common thing that just this is something you wanted to study because people were just like totally erasing it well, that was that was one of the reasons, but the the big reason was I just didn't realize that the, the trans community felt like they couldn't trust the healthcare providers. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I went to a went to speak at a conference, and I went into a room to hear um, it was the LGBT focus group. They were speaking on some different issues, and the first thing they said to us is, "You can take pictures of the the presenter." But don't take pictures of anybody else in here because we don't want anyone to be outed or anybody to be concerned that somebody would make something of them just being in a room hearing another person sharing their experience. Mm-hmm. And I never really I never really thought I never really thought about that. Um, can you explain some ways that caregivers like would try to make them feel safe and some ways that like maybe we wouldn't realize they might feel unsafe? Okay, well, we're definitely making people people safe by certainly, you know, asking about people's pronouns, um, who is in your circle of care, and how do you want us to connect with the people that, that, that you care about, um, really talking with our trans elders about what are some of their concerns. And, and the biggest question I always say to my students, how can I best support you right now? Mm-hmm. Do you think that... Um that the fear that they're having about healthcare providers is valid or is it more um, a leftover from earlier generations? Or do you see healthcare providers being biased against transgender people? Yeah, I had, I had not seen that um, in, in the work that I had done, but what we've heard from other elders is that they're afraid to come out. They're afraid that if they have, for example, if they have somebody who is coming into their home to provide care, 
that, you know, maybe somebody would would hurt them once they they oh. found that, 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 they're, that they're trans or somehow try to take advantage of them. Yeah, or even just like misgender or not understand yes. or, you know, I think also there's this larger thing about elderly people being uh, treated as not human and yes. like subhuman and not having any sort of dignity. So like I could totally see a caregiver just like deferring to what the maybe the birth family is saying about the person and not taking the actual person's words. Does that make sense? That's definitely part of it, but also feeling their fear that if they reveal their gender identity, that their caregivers could go away. So the agency will say, you know, we, we just can't take care of you. Really? Yes. Has that been happening? And so that has that has that has been happening. That's that's documented. And so people have seen it happen to other people. Um, there is a, a documentary film. I think it's, I think it's also called Generation Silent where they followed a, a, a community of LGBTQ elders in Boston. And the people were sharing some, some of their concerns and things that they had experienced. And it was people who, once they found out that the person they were caring for was trans, were like, I can't work with you? Things like that happened. Or, or their family caregivers, you know, did not come and provide care. Well, like their you families would abandoned them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow. So you, what do you think is the best thing to do to avoid this happening in the future? Is it edu- is it starting with education when people are in school? Is it going out to people who have been in the workforce for a long time and re-educating them on this? What's sort of the plan of attack? I think the plan would really be to start with the education of our, I think nurse, because I'm, I'm a nurse, but our young healthcare professionals, so nurses, our doctors, um, and helping people to be more more aware of the, the variations in in human beings, mm-hmm. and yeah, how yeah. we can how we can best take care of um, our transidentified trans people because we have a lot of you know, trans young people out there, and just making sure that the the lessons that we that we learn as young healthcare providers that we're able to, t- to take care of everybody with dignity. Is there some training that we need around? Um, um, certainly, because in hospice, at times, as people get closer to death, you make some decisions about the me- medications and how we're going to use certain medications. And for us to get educations about the role of hormones, right, and to be and how they can be safely used, because some of them do have side effects, um, right, for, for older people, people, older people, and we and we know they also are part of maintaining your gender I- identity mm-hmm. and in making sure that when we because we use the words like, you know, plan a care or putting our care plan together, that those things are also considered because that's part of being a human being. Right, that it's part of their medication is the hormones if they choose mm-hmm. to be on them. When you were talking about your work with Carmelita at the at the end mm-hmm. of her life, and I mean, that is the type of thing that goes above and beyond being a nurse. Uh, and so I was wondering if there were other stories, like if there was another story or other stories that work close to your heart in terms of working with like a trans elder to sort of go beyond what you would normally expect in hospice. Hmm, that's a good one because well, Carmelita was lucky because her, her volunteer was a nurse, an artist, and so she was really able to bring those skills to bear and to know that for Carmelita, part of her spiritual care at, at the end of her life was to reconnect her with the artist and the writer and those creative parts of herself. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a book that I actually um, I have on my desk right now, and I have the book in several places because I think the the story is just so powerful. One of the reasons why we made the decision to publish is because the stories aren't being told. The stories of aren't trans being, elders aren't being told. Aren't aren't being aren't being told. And so what's been cool is that people have. Once they saw the article or people saw some press we had here, people have been calling us and wanting us to come out and talk with them and, and hear, hear more people's journeys and their stories. The power of the story is that, you know, through Lauren's work, um, we were able to really elevate, you know, Carmelita's story. And hopefully with other people that we meet along the way that we'll be able to do the same thing for other people. 
If you have a loved one who's in hospice, I think it can be overwhelming and it's so unlike anything else. Like, What sort of advice would you give to someone in, in their relationship and how, how to kind of act and be there and be supportive? I think a lot, a lot of it depends. But I think if I was giving advice to somebody who was a, a family member, I would say take time to find out what your loved one wants. Mm-hmm. What do they see is important? Are there some things that they want to get accomplished? Like the people book. still have, like the book. Um, people might want to take 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 a trip. Um, people might want to, um, you know, write down, you know, legacy stories or record their stories, mm-hmm. and to be able to, you know, to be able to um, create legacy gifts or legacy boxes where they sort of kind of gather up, you know, treasured items. And so for people to be able to facilitate those conversations and just learn about who your loved one is, mm-hmm. um, it's powerful. Um, I loved this part in the article that Lauren talks about. Uh, trans-identified elders need a sense of acceptance and belonging and understanding of gender identity as part of their spiritual selves. And you've talked, you've mentioned a couple times the spiritual self. Um, and it is like, it is very specific what you do because you're, you're welcoming and working with uh, the specifics of these people who I think like just want to be, leave a legacy just like everyone else, want to be counted as part of the world for like who they Mm -hmm. really are. Um, And so I, you know, I think that this is a very interesting course of study because I'm sure there's many people who passed away who were trans and will just never know. And we'll never know because they were too fearful to live authentically. Yeah. And that's a huge, a huge gift to, to be able to say to someone, I see, I see who you are and I'm, I'm here with you and, I, and I'm not, and I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be, be right here. I love that. This is something that's so specific and so, so wonderful. And I would have never, I would have never thought of. And I think a lot of our listeners, even though they are a lot of queer and trans youth would never think of, uh, our elders, you know, and would never think of, I've seen like LGBTQ specific, um, nursing homes and things like that. But I think you don't, you don't remember that these people age if you're lucky, (laughs) if you're really lucky. lucky. Um, would you like to play a game show? (laughs) There's never a good transition for it, especially on the important topics. I hope I can. If I was in like, well, is it trivia? Is it sports? Is it movies? I could do that, but but it, it's it'll, completely it'll okay. arbitrary and made up. There's <laughs> yeah, there's no real rules. It's okay. a game called hypotheticals. So I give okay. you and Gabby, my two contestants, a couple of hypothetical situations. Oh my god! <laughs> you can you can ask as many questions as you want before you tell me what you would do in that hypothetical situation, and then I uh, just arbitrarily decide if I like your answer. <laughs> <laughs> so real no, loose. No pressure. Yeah, yeah, no pressure. Honestly, no pressure because you can't win. Um, <laughs> so our first game is: Are you a terrible parent? Your child whines all the time. So to teach them a lesson, you tell them that you have temporary hearing loss, and they will have to write down everything they want to say to you for the next two weeks. This is a blatant lie, but it gets them to stop whining and improves their penmanship. Are you a terrible parent? Oh, my God. So is this the first time I've, I've had to do this? Yes. I've had to tell them I'm ha- having hearing loss. Yes. <laughs> yes. This is your solution. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and they stop oh. whining. Oh, my God. Um, what's my choice to, to be a terrible parent or? A great parent. Innovative. A great. Oh. <laughs> You think it's innovative. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. You're right. I think I agree that it's innovative. I don't think it hurts anyone. I mean, I hate lying to kids, but sometimes they make you. I mean, I actually think I've really stumbled on a really interesting solution. Yeah, because because then they'll think about what they want to say. Right. Like they'll consider their words. The bad side is if they just talk a lot of shit about you behind your back. Oh, and, and they think you can't and they hear think it. You can't hear it. Oh, Do they ever boy. find out I lied to them? No. Okay, well, I think I agree with Kathy. We're good parents. But they live in constant fear of getting this temporary hearing loss. <laughs> so they're f- filled with anxiety? Yeah. 
You know, who isn't? <laughs> Our next game is Would You Lie or Tell the Truth? On your way home from work, the cutest dog you have ever seen comes up to you and licks your hand and follows you home. You instantly become best friends. That night, a man wearing a White Lives Matter shirt knocks on your door and asks if you have seen his missing dog. Would you lie or tell the truth? I would steal the dog. <laughs> oh, my God. I would steal the dog. That guy sucks. The dog is cute. We get along. It's totally stealing that dog. Kathy? Oh, I probably wouldn't give back the dog right away. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, I'm sorry. How long would you wait to give back the dog? <laughs> Well, what <laughs> this, is, this is terrible, isn't it? Because y'all don't know me. Y'all know me very well. <laughs> oh, we're about to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> how, how long would you wait to give back the dog? Well, what I would do is that I would wait until he left, and then I would go take the dog and put the dog in my car, and I would like put the dog back where I found it. No, you can't do you that. Can't do the dog. The dog. What if he gets hit by a car? I don't know, but I just. <laughs> Now you're punishing the dog. I'm just putting the dog back where, where I found him. Okay, that's minus 100 points. Also, <laughs> I have a question. What if this guy uh, sees you out walking his dog? Do you just go, no, I this is my dog. It's been my dog the whole time. Oh, God, that's a good one. I think you have I to would... do that. <laughs> you have to be like, what are you talking about? I've had this dog for five years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Photoshopping <laughs> pictures of you and the dog yeah. together. Uh, yeah, this is my this is my this is my dog. Oh my god! Wow. Oh my god. Okay. So, so the right answer is keep the dog. The wrong answer is abandon the dog. I know. What the hell? Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm not a I'm not a pet person. <laughs> okay. Our final game. Is this oh person an alien from outer space or just rude? While trying to order soup at a diner, your waitress keeps shouting, no soup for you, whenever you open your mouth. Finally, after a long glare off, you quickly say salad, and they nod before leaving your table. Is this person an alien or just rude? First of all, a lot of your um, your a lot of your hypotheticals have to do with Seinfeld. Yes. And a lot of your hypotheticals have to do with soup. Yes. It's very weird, Allison. People love Seinfeld. People love soup. Um, I think this person is just a Seinfeld super fan. Kathy? Oh, I don't know. And so how would I know if they were an alien? Is that how the game works? <laughs> no, that's how it's, you would... Yeah, like... it's just your gut instinct. Do you think they're an alien uh, or not? Alien or rude. Having someone who doesn't know the game explain the game back to me, I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> 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 oh, my God. Uh... I'm, I'm the worst at this. <laughs> I'll just let you know that um, they are in the CIA and they know that the soup has been contaminated. Mm. And they so, didn't feel that they could explain that to me in words? You think you can't know who's in the CIA. Oh, my God. So they're really a hero. They saved your life. I thought it was going to be like they're the soup Nazi and then they were the guy who was wearing the White Lives Matter shirt because they're a Nazi. No, the soup Nazi is the guy wearing the White Lives Matter <laughs> shirt. <laughs> Did I not clarify that? Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm keeping his dog. No dog for you. <laughs> Kathy, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people uh, find out more about what you're doing? Um, They can find out um by... Going on to my the website at the UVA School of Nursing. What's the website? Oh dear, um, just type in UVA Nursing. Yeah, type in UVA School of Nursing. Nursing. Transgender Senior Care. There you go. There you go. That's all we need. Thank you so much, Kathy. I really appreciate it. I I love. I love what you're doing. Yes. Thank Thank you you so very much. much. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about work life balance. Just between us, it's time for topics. X X X X X X X baby. That was lovely. Baby. Okay. I love to keep it high and low. The way this show works: highbrow, lowbrow. Highbrow, lowbrow. That's we should just rename the show to highbrow, lowbrow. <laughs> I mean, that's what you're getting. 
and you never know what, and you never know when. (laughs) (laughs) I should sing more on this show. I sing all the time. Yeah, alone? Yeah. No, but like not songs that exist. No, 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 made up songs. Like originals. Yeah, me too. Okay, cool. Uh, My partner's a singer-songwriter, and I was like, wow, it's so amazing what you do. I could never write a song. And they were like, you write songs all day. And I was like, oh, you're right. Well, loose definition of a song. I know, not what they do. They do, what they do is beautiful. (laughs) What I do is like, dishes being washed, they're washing themselves, you know what I mean? Right. I've sung a multitude about dishes. I could put out an album. Um... (laughs) This week's topic is work-life balance, baby, inspired by my father's recent retirement. Oh, and he's spiraling? Um, No, but I mean, it just made me really think about, like, what happens. You know, like, his life has changed so dramatically because he worked all the time. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden there's no work and there's Mm -hmm. just life. Mm -hmm. I hope my mom doesn't leave him. Um, my mom works all the time and my dad, uh, is recently retired due to a family inheritance. I don't want you to think that he, he earned it or anything, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, I think that sometimes work is your life. Mm-hmm. Like, did your dad have hobbies before? Yes. Poker. Yes. He's an excellent poker Tennis. player. Tennis. Okay. Uh, fantasy baseball. So he had work-life balance. Yeah. But it's just like, how do you, I think that a lot of people wonder, like, what's the right amount? Like, for him, he was always on call. So, like, he Mm. could be doing anything and he could then get an email that would ruin his whole day or all of his plans or the vacation. That's how I feel. I feel like I'm always, like, I'm fielding emails all the time and I don't want to. Couldn't you institute business hours for yourself? Like, not let yourself respond at certain times? Yes. You know what? I've, I've started to look at an email that comes in, a work email, and just go, will anyone die if I don't do this in the next four hours? No? Then it's okay. Yeah, I mean, I, all the time, if I get, like, an email after 6 o'clock, I'm probably not going to respond till the next day. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing that urgent. Right, Tamika? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Tamika's sitting at her desk like, (laughs) oh, fucking Allison. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, I used to be so urgent. mm -hmm. I thought everything had to be dealt with immediately. Me too. And if I didn't deal with it immediately, then whatever I was doing was ruined because I was thinking about the thing I should be dealing with immediately. Absolutely. And that ruins you. Can I tell you something awful? Sure. I So we had a phone call with our book publisher, and it was like very important phone call with the book publisher. Who's and we? Me and you. Oh. This was a while ago. <laughs> this was a long time ago. Everything about it was very urgent. We we couldn't move around the phone call. So it was going to be – the phone call was going to happen right as I landed in Florida to visit my family. Okay. So I literally got to baggage claim and hopped on the call. Then I got in the car with my parents – and was like, shh, and then was on the call, so didn't talk to them for like an hour while we were in the car, like coming home from the airport. So I didn't like greet my parents, basically. Then we got to the restaurant where they were. we were going to have dinner with my grandmother, and I stood outside for 45 more minutes talking on the phone, didn't greet my grandmother, and then eventually came in and, and had dinner with them. But for the first two hours I was home, did not address my family because I had to be on this work call, and now my grandmother's dead. Okay, first of all, we've never had a two-hour call. It was like something, it was something really long. It was like notes for something. Yeah, but then you said hello to your grandma. I know, but I'm just saying that I felt really shitty because I felt like the dad from Liar Liar. I I think that there's like, I think that what's important is recognizing when there's situations when you have to do that and recognizing when it's not. And it was a situation when I had to do that. it's not like every week. That's so funny because I also had to take a call when we were picking our publisher for the first book and I was at an airport and I was going to go through security, but I couldn't go through security on the phone. So I just kept going back and forth between the weaving lines. Yeah. And like letting people uh, get in front of me. But honestly, I wish back for those days because I had a book deal. Okay. (laughs) I'm just saying that like there's been times where I've had to miss things or I've had to like do things for work and I am a person who will put work first but I think it's about realizing what work needs to go first so I think that like yes you're getting a little better at figuring out what actually needs to go first and what isn't that big of a priority and bowing out of stuff yeah just like getting offers and being like no but saying no is a big thing oh saying no is how you get your life back also honestly saying no to personal stuff 
Because if you only have a limited amount of personal time, mm-hmm. you don't want to like get caught up in like all these social engagements you don't actually want to go to. Yes, prioritizing your friends, prioritizing the, the, your, the people in your life that matter to you. And like prioritizing self-care. Like maybe you just want to like sit on the couch and watch Netflix. You don't have to go to that party. No, and that's not um, like hanging out by yourself is not doing nothing. I love it. Hanging out by yourself and doing nothing is like an integral part of being a person. Yeah, and like you're good recharging. For you. Yes, my my in terms of work like life balance, my body will shut down if you overdo it. My body will betray me. Like mm-hmm. I'll try to work more and more and more, and my body will like fully. I had so much work to do this weekend. And my body was like, naps? <laughs> Would you like to do nothing but nap? Did you nap? I had to. I started shutting down. Yeah. Like, I think it's like when you get like, so, when for me, when I get so stressed out, I'll like, my eyes will start to close. I feel like I, um, I haven't had enough to do. And so I really struggled when I had too much life and not enough work. <laughs> that's interesting. See, that's a thing no one really talks about. Yeah, like, you want, like, when you're young and able, you want to, like, feel like a contributing member of society. And that's why being unemployed is, like, horrible for people's mental health. It's, like, truly one of, like, the worst um, things you can go through. And I think even if it was, like, even if it's, like, not necessarily unemployed because, like, oh, maybe there's this, maybe there's that. It's just, like, this sense of, like, what do I do with all of this time? Can I uh, take a hard left into anti-capitalist conspiracy corner? Sure. Thank you so much. I um, haven't been here in a while. <laughs> uh, we've only gone here, I think, three times in the history of the podcast, but I'm willing to make it a, a, my own segment. Um, so welcome to Anti-Capitalist Conspiracy Corner. I think that the reason money, uh, money has a lot of power, and I think that the reason that people feel doubly as bad mental health-wise when they're unemployed or when they feel that they're not working enough is because society has decided that the only way that you are a worthwhile human being is if you are contributing to society, is if you are working, is if you are making money, is if you are contributing money to the capitalist machine, which for most people is uh, making money, making minimum wage to serve a boss who is a billionaire. So I think that the that because people feel that judgment from other people in the world and the community for being unemployed or for not working as much um, or for not quote unquote hustling as much that adds to the pressure and like Mm -hmm. and mental health whatever and I think that there should be a celebration of doing things that aren't necessary that take up time that aren't necessarily uh, meant to make money or or work-based I don't know I'm a workhorse I'm a person who works all the time but I recognize that not working doesn't make you less of a human being. Are you still in the corner or you want to come out? No, I'm out of the corner. Now. Okay. <laughs> I just wanted to let people know that uh, work is a scam. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I'm back in school, baby. <laughs> but that, and that's to better yourself. Yes. Although you are giving money to a, money. an organization. Um, yeah, I mean, I just think like, I have really had to learn that the point of life isn't working. However, I am still incredibly ambitious and would miss my own wedding if it meant I could have what I wanted. (laughs) Wow. I want to win. What does winning look like for you? When will you be happy? When will you be satisfied? You know, you're asking me (laughs) um, a question that both my father and my therapist have (laughs) really tried to dive into with me. Uh, The answer is never, and I will not be taking further questions at this time. Perfect. Uh, Tamika, want to come on in and dissect that? (laughs) Hey. How's your work-life balance? Uh, I have work and no life. Oh. I know because we get emails from you at like 1 (laughs) a.m. Yeah. I mean, when you have a new-ish job and you're new to a city – it's hard to have a life because you are so focused on doing a good job and mm-hmm. making a good impression. So I have an excuse for now. Yeah. It's been a few months. Yeah, but like, <laughs> okay, so producing is also different. Like when you are producing something, other people's jobs rely on you being able to get your job done. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's like a trickle-down effect if I don't get things done. So it makes it more challenging to have like a good work-life balance. But – I do have a rule. Like every couple weekends, I have to like make no plans. Oh, wake up on Saturday morning and then figure out what I want to do. I love that. That's lovely. What have you done in the past? Um, I mean, sometimes I'll just like go exploring for the day, like get in the car and just drive, figure out where I want to go. 
I I like to have like what I call like a Silver Lake Saturday, okay. which is like you get up, you go get coffee at like Sawyer, you get like a a Scout, like a you get like a bagel sandwich at Scout. You walk around the Silver Lake flea market. You look at jewelry and clothes you're never gonna buy. You know you you get like a maybe you get dinner at Cliff's Edge. You do a whole like Silver Lake walkabout day. That sounds really lovely and high end for you. <sighs> I feel like I used to put so much pressure on working on the weekends, and now I'm like... I've never worked on the weekends. Never? I know. No. Allison is strict business hours. I don't work on the weekends. That's so healthy. <laughs> I work on the weekends constantly, and I have to remind myself not to. I don't work at night. I don't work on the weekends. My partner was like, you have to have a lazy Sunday. And I was like, obviously, yeah, lazy Sunday. I'm going to send two emails, and then it's a lazy Sunday. And they were like, no, that's not a lazy Sunday. And I was like, let me just send two emails, and then it'll be lazy Sunday. And Mal was like... You don't know what a lazy Sunday is. There are zero emails on lazy Sunday. <laughs> I was shook to my core. I had never experienced it. <laughs> I just, I think that like when you give yourself more guidelines, then you're more productive. Because if you're like, yes. I, could, I could work, I could work any hour of any day at any time versus like, I wanted to get this done by six so I could have my evening. Yes. You then get it so done. That's so true. That's so true. Yeah. I've never been late on anything or like not done my work. You're but more just, productive because you have less time to do it yeah. rather than being like, I'm going to I'm gonna wait until 1 a.m. because I'll give myself eight hours. Right. Uh, I agree with that. I agree with that. What do we rate the episode? I rate it 11 out of 7 Kathy's giggles. <laughs> oh, that was really sweet. I love her giggles. I rate it um, 11 out of 10 bags of chips exploding against the wall. <laughs> Power to you, Emily. <laughs> Emily is our leader. I want to know what kind of chips. <laughs> Emily, please write in and tell us what kind of chips. <laughs> Tamika? The one I was going to say is too close to Gabby's. I was going to say 10 out of 10 Emily's. <laughs> don't we all want to be Emily sometimes? Oh, my God. I love it. I love Emily, and I love Emily's lack of remorse for being Emily. Thanks, Kathy Campbell, for being a guest. Just Between Us is hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Our engineer is Brendan Burns. He also composed our killer theme music. That's Brendan Burns. <laughs> Our producer is Tamika Weatherspoon, and our supervising producer is Josephine Martirana. Our executive producer is Chris Bannon. Just Between Us is a production of Stitcher. Hey, everyone. Be kind and see each other. What? Like, see each other for who they really are. Pass. <laughs> <laughs> Stitcher. 